Thanks, Joe, for leading us in prayer and for, yeah, praying for those for whom this is a time of new beginnings. It's reassuring to know that God, even in our uncertainty, knows exactly the path that lies before us and that we can always come to him in prayer. So today isn't quite a new new, um, uh, season in terms of the preaching series. Today is the last session on the Beatitudes. And I must say, personally, as I've prepared this series, um, I've, I've been really challenged and I've learned a lot about the, the Beatitudes in the, in the reading, reading around um, the subject and the research that I've done. And I hope, that, I hope that that's come across and I hope that you've, you've uh, maybe been challenged and certainly learned something new about the Beatitudes and uh, these really precious instructions and, and statements that Jesus made. Each and every one of them has, has a depth <clears throat> A depth that goes far beyond what we've explored in this series. A depth that that theologians have been mining for generation after generation. And that process will continue as God reveals, slowly but surely, his his, his character to us through his word. So, as we come to the end of this series, we finish up by looking, whereas previous weeks we've looked at verse by verse. We actually cover cover three verses this week. It's not three commandments, uh, sorry, not commandments, it's not three beatitudes. It's not a a rush job to get the series done. It's, It's a series of statements which are all linked together. And they remind us about the reality of the world in which we live. So you'll see that the the title of this so, uh, this, this sermon, every, every week um, we've had B and the word in brackets has been, has been slightly different. And this week the word is Jesus. Now I'm not suggesting that on the back of this series we can all go out there and be Jesus. Um, <clears throat> it would take a lot more than a preaching series to achieve that and indeed none of us will achieve that level of, of perfection this side of the grave. But hopefully as we've gone through the Beatitudes, as we've gone through this series, we've been reminded of what Jesus wants us to be, of who Jesus wants us to be, some of the attributes that he'd like us to demonstrate in our daily lives. And so as we've gone through this process, as we've studied the Beatitudes together, hopefully as a a body of, uh, of believers, but also as individuals as well, we have found ourselves maybe coming closer to Jesus through that process. That's, that's my prayer, and I do hope that, that in some small way that together we have achieved something of that nature in this series. So where I've put be Jesus, please, please don't feel a massive pressure to go out and, and achieve the, the unachievable, but please do go out and just remember that we have a calling to live lives as close to his perfect standard as we can achieve. So this week, we go on to the three verses we're looking at. Verse 10 and 11 and 12 of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. Where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a subtle change in tone this week. It gets personal. Suddenly it goes from blessed are to Jesus talking about you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It suddenly it gets personal. Before this, the, the, there's been, there hasn't been that, 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 that personal element. There's been a series of, of beatitudes which we can look at and we can study. And if we're not careful, we can have a, a sort of a, a, a distance. Well, that's interesting. What did Jesus mean? Who was he talking about? And we can disassociate ourselves. But we can't do that here. We can't do that when Jesus confronts us with the reality of what the consequences of living a life which reflects the Beatitudes will look like. The world is not a perfect place. It goes against the grain to recognize our own weakness, to mourn our own sin, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to show mercy, to pursue a purity of heart, to seek to, to make peace in times of conflict. It goes against the grain. We don't seek revenge. We don't, we don't want to get our own back. We don't want to get even. Instead, we want to demonstrate humility and love. <clears throat> These things that so often are interpreted as a weakness in the world around us. And Jesus says, as soon as you go against the grain, as soon as you start swimming against the tide, you meet resistance. Make no mistake about it. It's interesting, isn't it? All of these beatitudes, as we've worked through them, they all seem to fly in the face of the world outside. They all bring with them a challenge, a difficulty to achieve because although they sound great and we'd love them to be the standards that, that everybody out there um, adheres to and seeks to live to, the truth of the matter is that they're not. A few years ago, we had a a family holiday, um, we went to see some friends of ours who live out in America. And while we were there, they were really, really generous to us. Um, they took us to Niagara Falls, and we stayed a night in, in a hotel um, overlooking the, the falls. And floor-to-ceiling windows, it, just, it, was, it was spectacular, it was amazing. And I remember sitting in that suite in a quite a nice hotel, looking at the, the, the thickness of the towels. You can always tell a good hotel by the thickness of the towels, can't you? And, and, and just looking at the view and thinking, this is fantastic. What a life. What a life. Isn't this brilliant? This is amazing. God, I'll never forget this. But actually, 
that, that level of, of attainment, that, that level of thinking, oh, I'd love to have a, a life like this all the time. I'd love to have a life where I'm served and I'm pampered and I have the fluffy towels and the thick bathrobes and I can just look at one of the, one of the wonders of the world from, from high up. Isn't this amazing? That's a very worldly perspective, isn't it? I was sitting there reveling in, in worldly values. Actually, Jesus, Jesus turns that on its head. <clears throat> the world's idea of, of success is reaching a point where you're at the top of the tree and people serve you. In the kingdom of heaven, that's turned upside down. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He was a servant. He practiced servant leadership. Jesus made it quite clear in Matthew 16 what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't take, it doesn't take qualification and wealth and knowing the right people and going to the right places and, and getting, getting to the top of the tree. It takes humility. It takes a willingness to recognize our own, our own fallen self, our own need for Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Deny yourself. That's a very unpopular teaching in this world. In a world where even in the midst of a cost of living crisis, we're still bombarded with adverts for things that we don't really need, things that will supposedly improve our life and make things look rosier. Jesus says, don't fill your head with all that. Don't allow your head to be turned by all these, these short-term, short-term buzzes which will soon fade away. Even watching Niagara Falls from a 30th floor of a hotel, it's just a waterfall. After a while, it gets a bit boring. The wonder of the world becomes slightly less wondrous. We should deny ourselves. Pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. Recognize the calling that Jesus has put on your life, whatever that might be. If we really want to serve Jesus, then, then we need to join him. In the, he, he lived a life of struggle and difficulty at times. He lived a life of persecution. He knew what it was to be insulted. He knew what it was to be threatened. He knew what it was to, to fear for his life. And he knew that eventually that fear would become a reality. Now we, we trust that we won't be pushed to that point to the point of being crucified for our faith. But there are places in the world where that happens. There are places in the world today where, where to refuse to deny one's faith is a death sentence. That's a severe level of persecution, but I bet there are many people in this church who have experienced persecution for their faith. Whether it goes from, from the, the, the snide comments that in isolation mean very little, but over time grind you down, or whether it's being denied a job opportunity, whether it's being ostracized by a group of friends. Jesus says, take up your cross 
follow me. Follow him along the path that he has set before us. And then he says, prepare to die. Prepare to die. Not, this is not a, this is not a, a sort of a, a murderous threat. Prepare to die. Um, this is Jesus saying, be prepared to die to your old self. Be prepared to put aside all of your, the, the values that you held, all the, 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 the desires, the, the ambition. Be prepared to give it up for me. If you want to truly follow me, then put me at front and center of your life. And then all those other things, I'll take care of them. There's nothing wrong with, with being ambitious so long as ambition doesn't push Jesus out of the center of our life. There's nothing wrong with, with, with wanting um, a comfortable life and nice things, but we've got to be prepared to put Jesus front and center of our lives. And we've got to be prepared that he might not, he might not lead us down the path that we'd like to be led down. He might lead us down a path of difficulty, but we know that if we're in the presence of him, then we can, we can deal with persecution. We can deal with the insults. We can deal with, with the being ostracized because Jesus is the center of our lives. The Beatitudes are hard teachings. Jesus essentially says, you've got to reach the end of yourself. The end of yourself. You remember... Um, a few weeks ago, I spoke about how Jesus loves to fill an empty vessel. And we looked at all the different examples in, 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 the, in the Gospels of, of different empty vessels. Whether we were talking about literal vessels, like the, when, he, when he turned water into wine, or whether we were talking metaphorically, the empty vessel of the lady caught in adultery who was then filled with the joy of having met Jesus or the woman at the well, or the tax collector in his booth. Jesus loves to fill an empty vessel, but sometimes in order for, for, to, to give him an empty vessel, we've got to be prepared to empty ourselves first, empty ourselves of all, all worldly concerns and desires and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I give myself to you. I recommit myself to you. And one of the biggest things that can fill us in place of Jesus is the fear of persecution. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of the other fears is, is the fear of the mockery and the insults and the comments, the ridicule. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you how to, how to deal with it. I'll tell you how I want you to react. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He's saying there's, there's a bigger picture. Do not forget the bigger picture. Do not, do not lose that, that, that discipline of stepping back and thinking, what's going on here? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I being treated like this? Remember that the spiritual battle that Paul writes about in Ephesians 6 Remember that Jesus has it all under control. Even when that seems like the hardest thing to understand, Jesus is with us. Jesus set us the example of living the Beatitudes. 
At the start of this series, we, we met Jesus in a Pharisee's house, having a meal and being refused the social etiquette of the day, being treated pretty poorly. And you'll remember, a lady comes in, most people describe her as a prostitute. As she walks into the room and the Pharisees are very uncomfortable, and she kneels down at Jesus' feet, and she is sobbing so much that her tears cover his feet, and she washes his feet. This was, this was the role of a servant. She was submitting herself to Jesus' authority. She was recognizing him as her master. And she uses her hair to, to dry his feet, and then she pours the very, very precious oil, the perfume that she has in a, in a vessel around her neck. She, she pours it on his feet. She anoints his feet. It's a wonderful moment. It's a beautiful moment, and it changes the life of that lady. But in, in John 13, we see a very similar scene. Only this time, it's not, there's not a, a, a prostitute washing Jesus' feet. It's something very different. Jesus and his disciples are gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem just before they share together what we're going to be remembering when we have communion later on this morning. And we're told Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen, what, what the future held. He knew every detail. Jesus had every right at this moment to be dwelling in self-pity, to be hatching an escape plan perhaps, to be focusing on his own problems in life. And boy, they were problems. They, they were problems. But instead... Instead, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So just when Jesus could have been at his lowest ebb, he doesn't stop serving those around him. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty in one of the most unpleasant ways that we can think. Jesus served his disciples. He washed the feet of his disciples rather than dwelling on his own problems. When he came to Simon Peter, he said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head need to be washed as well, said Peter. So Jesus, Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Jesus isn't afraid to, to take on the role of a servant. Presumably there weren't servants around in the room at, at that time. And Jesus looked around and he didn't, he didn't go and try and find a servant. He didn't insist that one of his disciples do it. He didn't say, Judas, we both know what's going on here. This is the least you can do for me. No, he didn't do any of that. He takes on the role. You see, rather than sitting in the hotel room being pampered and thinking, hey, aren't I great? Jesus looks at those around him and thinks, hey, aren't these great? Aren't these great? I love these people. How can I serve them? I know. There's no servant here to wash their feet. They've been traveling. I'm going to do it. 
and he does it. He's motivated by love. He's not motivated by the the anger and the frustration of, of everything that's going on around him. He's motivated by his love for the individual because he loves God and he loves his neighbor. His disciples were the ones who have been with him step by step throughout his ministry. They've been through thick and thin. They've been loyal. He loved them. But he knew that for a lot of them, they were still on their journey of, of understanding. They hadn't quite got to the point where they could properly understand. They hadn't seen the resurrected Christ, but they'd put their faith in him. He loved them. And so he serves them. He washes their feet. Exactly the same way that the lady washed Jesus' feet in the Pharisee's house. Later on in the same scene, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. A servant is not greater than his master. As we go through, as we go through difficult times in life and we say, Lord, why is this happening? We must remind ourselves, <clears throat> Jesus experienced suffering. Jesus experienced persecution and hardship and mockery and ridicule and all these things. Jesus experienced that. And so why should we think we're any different? Instead, we can rejoice and be glad that actually we are experiencing something that Jesus himself, the Son of God, came down to earth and put himself right in the firing line. He didn't put himself on a pedestal. He didn't put himself in a palace or a hotel. He didn't, he didn't have the fluffy towels and the bathrobes and the wonderful view. No, why not? Because Jesus knows that is not, that is not the center of what he was or what he wants us to be. Instead, he sets us this amazing example, this powerful example. A servant is not greater than his master. And we are servants. When we go out into the world, we should seek to be servants to those that we meet, those around us. To have that servant heart, to want to do things for people. Nothing is too much trouble. Not so that we're sickly sweet and and annoying, just so that we show a heart that is clearly different to the world around us. We show the heart of Jesus. Some of you might be familiar with a film called The Poseidon Adventure. And it's been a long, long time since, since, I, since I've seen it, but essentially there's this massive, luxurious ocean liner, and it's, it's going on a, a, a journey, a cruise, and it gets swamped. A huge, huge wave swamps it, and it's, it's upside down, it capsizes, but there's enough air inside um, that not everybody, um, not everybody drowns. It's, it, there's, there's air inside. But there's, there's this difference of opinion because... On this luxury liner, and most people have the view that, well, to get in and out of the boat, you've got to, you've got to be on the top deck. That's, that's the way it normally is. Because they're, they're thinking, well, that's how I got on. I need to swim down. I need to swim down and work my way deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I get to the top deck and then I can get out. And so there's this, there's this time where 
People are trying to do that. And of course, the, the, the harder they try to fight to get to the, the top deck, which was the most luxurious deck where the, the, um, the best cabins were and, and everything, they, they, they're working and working and working to try and get there. But of course, they're getting further and further and further away from being saved. And the other group of people who say, no, no, things are different. We're upside down. They're, we need to head to the bottom of the boat because the bottom is now the top and the top is now the bottom. And so they, they make their way, um, what would have been down, into the, the, the kitchens and then through the engine rooms and the storage areas and all the, all the dark, dingy, smelly, horrible underbelly of the ship, the places where passengers would never normally go, and they get to the, get to the hull and they bang on the hull and it's like a drum and eventually rescuers come and cut them out. And if you haven't seen it, apologies for having just spoiled it entirely. But you see, the point is that there's this group of people who, who, who despite, despite looking at the way things have changed in the world, they still are convinced that we've got to keep getting to the top deck. We've got to fight to get to the top deck, even though the, the top deck is, is a death sentence because they, they, they drown. Jesus does the same things, the same thing with, with our worldly values. When we... When we come to look at Jesus' approach to life, when we look at the Beatitudes, when we study what he says, we realize that, that our world has suddenly been hit by this tidal wave of scripture and of teaching and of the reality of God's presence. And if we live a life that is still desperately trying to, to get to what we once thought was the pinnacle of achievement, the top of the tree, then actually we're, we're desperately trying to get further and further away from Jesus. We're not thinking about being saved anymore. We're just thinking about the top deck. Actually, to get to the point where Jesus saves us, to be saved, we need to recognize that Jesus is cutting a hole in the bottom of the boat. And it's there for us to climb out of. And we have the choice whether we join the group that says, no, follow the ways of the world, come down with me, or whether we follow the group that says, let's go find Jesus. Jesus knew that there would be times when we would find ourselves in the wilderness, wandering desperately, whether we're struggling with, with debt or with loss, or with illness, or with loneliness, or with any number of things that, might, that we might be going through. There might be people right now, right here, who feel that you're in that sort of wilderness, that sort of desert. Well, know this, Jesus was no stranger to the wilderness. He was no stranger to the desert. And he says, never will I leave you or forsake you. Because Jesus loves each and every one of us. He is with us in our lives. He is there through the desert. He's there in a sinking ship. He's there in the luxury hotel suite too. But all the time he's saying, don't get distracted by what's going on around us. You follow me. You follow me. You keep your eyes fixed on me. And if you do that, you will follow the path that I'm leading you down. The Beatitudes are a fundamental 
foundation of the Christian faith. They give us so much, so much example of the people that Jesus wants us to be. And as we come to the end of this series, as we come to the end of this series, we're going to be, we're going to be moving on. We're going to be moving on from Beatitudes, but we're going to be going on to, um, to a new series where we look at the desert where we look at times in Scripture, people or people groups who have been lost in the wilderness, lost in the desert, who have been struggling and hopeless and felt abandoned and lonely. And we're going to be looking at the way that God saves, the way that God leads. We're going to be looking at the way that he provides oases within the desert. Whatever desert we find ourselves in, whatever suffering we might be going through, there is always an oasis awaiting us. Jesus always puts something on the horizon for us to focus our eyes on and, and aim for, to help us to get through the quagmire that we might find ourselves in, the sinking sands. And so we're going to be moving on, and we're going to be looking at those, at those examples. And hopefully it will be an exciting series, hopefully it will be an interesting series, and hopefully it will be a series that just helps us to continue to deepen our understanding of our relationship with God. But of course, the ultimate oasis that we have, the thing that we can come to time and time again as we go through life, is the oasis of communion. We can always recommit ourselves to Jesus. We can always acknowledge our own failings, our own sin, the distractions that we've allowed to, to cloud our view of him. And we can, we can ask for forgiveness. We can reset our hearts to focus on the cross. And the way we do that is by showing obedience to the teaching that Jesus gave to do this in remembrance of him. And so I'm going to pray for us and then... Um, the worship band is going to come up and lead us in a song. And as we, as we sing and as we pray, maybe just take a moment to reset your own spiritual compass, to refocus on Jesus, and to ask him to bring you back to the path that he would have you follow as we prepare ourselves to take communion. If you don't have um, elements with you or if you didn't pick up a pot on the way in, please just raise a hand and one of our stewards will, will bring one over. But right now, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son into this world. Not as a prince in a palace but instead as a babe in a manger Lord we thank you for the, the life that Jesus led we thank you for the scriptures that recall the words and the deeds the miracles, the healings, the prayers we thank you for the consistent example that he set of seeking to serve those that he met. And Lord God, we pray that you will help us to align ourselves more closely to, to the Beatitudes, 
we pray, Lord, that throughout this series we've, we've, we've gone through the process of, of just checking our own hearts, of finding the areas where perhaps we need to realign ourselves with Jesus. And Lord God, we pray that as we, as we worship you now and as we prepare our hearts to share communion together, Lord, we acknowledge that we are a fallen people. We acknowledge that there is sin in the world and we are part of the world. And we acknowledge that we need Jesus. We need the cleansing forgiveness of his body and his blood. And we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died on that cross but the death couldn't hold him, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended to be with you. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us and around us now. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to empty ourselves of all distraction, all worry, all ambition, Anything that is on our hearts at the moment, Lord, help us just to put it aside and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Hear us now as we worship your name.